Welcome back to the Chameleons podcast. This is the second part of the conversation with Bobby Chang, entrepreneur, philanthropist, industrial designer, and co-founder of Incase. We talk about his journey and some experiences that have been central to his life and how his life has unfolded. The second part focuses on the period after he left Incase and his pursuit for new opportunities for growth and learning for himself and his loved ones. I hope you will enjoy this conversation with this very special entrepreneurial mind and human being as much as I did. I am Imak Samrana, and this is the Chameleons Podcast. So you have gone through this period and you made this major contribution to In Case, mm-hmm. the whole In Case story. And so now what? The next aha moment was after I watched the four-part series on BBC called Century of Self. And that was super impactful for me in that after watching the four-part series, I saw a pattern. And the pattern was the juxtaposition of corporations and individuals and how they were always directly opposed. So that, for instance, in a period of time, companies had power and the individuals had to buy or listen to their things, right? Mm. So whether it's corporations selling things Mm. and really pushing it down to people or when the people had power, like when there was a lot more revolution Mm. in society where they're voicing their Mm. discontent for governments Mm. right Mm. so so these are kind of like the power struggles they're always opposed but each time they switched the years start to diminish and what i saw was that because it's called century of self so it's the last hundred years and it's really how edward bernays the nephew of sigmund freud had used a lot of sigmund freud's theories on how to create public relations and advertising and product placements and really, in a way, get people to buy and get people to to join into things that maybe are not so good for them or Mm. maybe some things are good for them. But when this power starts flipping and the time starts diminishing, I started to see that they're going to become intertwined. So you mean the power struggle between the corporation and the individuals is constantly ongoing? Yeah, it's constantly ongoing. So for instance, after like the Vietnam War, everybody was, the, the people were really speaking up against mm. it. So they were more powerful and corporations kind of took a back seat. You know, the people mm. voicing out, that's mm. what I meant by power, right? Because mm-hmm. when they mm-hmm. voice out, everybody starts to listen and when the corporations are in power and they sell tend to sell more products and Mm. do better and stuff like that so this keeps flipping through the century there's a lot of examples of that so wars you know are are typically one of those things that makes things flip after war or during a war there's actually a lot of revolution going on and then after companies want to get the revenues Mm. back in order and Mm. so they start ramping up advertising Mm. and so they, Mm. they become more powerful in a way so this starts to, to flip and right around 2009 you started to see the emergence of like corporate social responsibility where the corporation is now taking what they're doing to environments and all that kind of stuff into account and i was starting to get introduced to a lot of the new philanthropists and they were changing how philanthropy was going to be going forward right and so like the concepts of like transparency was huge 
right? And corporations have never been transparent, but people wanted transparency. So now they were forcing corporations to do something. And so corporate social responsibility started to emerge and saying, mm. we are responsible and, mm. and we put this much towards the planet. And, you know, this small incremental steps, but we can see now that it is fully intertwined in that if you have a company and, and it's not closely related to the community and supporting the community, mm. your company revenue is done. It's going to start to dwindle because people don't care about you because you don't care about the people. So that's what I mean by intertwine. Mm. Like everything is mm. just mm. meshed together and, and companies are being built by communities, right? Not by these executives, but you see a lot of local grown mm. companies mm. that emerge because they care about the community at the core. So mm. some of those things are, for instance, like Lululemon. It really uh, have been built from the community, right? That's like, like early on ones. But then you start looking at like all the local companies that are tiny. Like they maybe have started on Kickstarter and they have grown to a certain size. <laughs> if you just look around, you can start to see like the ones that are relevant and the ones that are not. And what happened that made them not relevant and what happens that, that made them relevant? It's, it's because of integration with the community mm. and the community cares about them and all the things they're doing are geared towards that and there's no alternative motive, mm. right? Mm. So in the philanthropy side, there was a new breed of philanthropists that was showing up and, and it was the millennial generation. Mm. And they said, listen, whatever is donated, 100% needs to go towards that cause. And I'm going to show you the transparency. I'm going to show you exactly how it's done. So, for instance, Charity Water is probably one of the ones that, you know, first to show you, okay, your money went to this well, and we raise funds separately for running operations. So the old philanthropy like Red Cross or any of these big agencies, you don't know, you give them money, you don't know where it goes. No. You know, and... When I was in Haiti, a couple months after the earthquake, mm. we were bringing some supplies and what we brought was really so insignificant compared to what they needed. But we were there and observing what was going on there was an eye-opener because yeah. there was a couple of things. One, there were so many supplies that were locked in the airport because the government wanted people to pay taxes to release that, right? So that type of transparency is not a lot of people knew about that they just knew oh i put money in the red cross and supplies went and <laughs> yeah it went to, it did good but you don't really know and we were there seeing the full warehouses of not being distributed wow. and it's unfortunate because where's the transparency mm -hmm. in that but the big agencies they don't work like that you know you donate hundred dollars maybe three dollars goes towards the cause where did the rest of the money go mm, who knows but the new ideology for philanthropy was let's show everybody mm -hmm. everything. It's a much more modern way of thinking. I, I'm thinking about the wokeness of the younger generations. They're giving us their honest opinion about systemic changes needed. Yes, yeah. Do you think that had something to do about the, the change in corporations that they had to switch kind of the way they were doing things? Absolutely. Yeah, because one, if you're trying to attract younger employees to mm. your company and that's not relevant, you don't care about them and you don't care about their needs, you're not attracting them. They're not coming to your company. And, you know, in philanthropy, you're starting to see all this kind of stuff. And when everything is intertwined, the full transparency has to be there or else 
you don't have to support the community and if you don't have support of that then where's your sales going no buyers <laughs> no buyers like they don't you know <laughs> they, you know before they they didn't they didn't have to expose all that kind of stuff because people didn't really ask for it but the new millennial no. generation is like if you don't have that then i can't buy your product there's plenty of other companies that yeah. make the same product yeah. or better or i'll make it with myself <laughs> exactly so right around that time of 2009 i joined a group called summit series and They were really amazing at bringing business and philanthropy people together. And you saw a lot of the collaborations where the business guys were helping the philanthropy and, mm. and bringing business thinking into philanthropy, mm. but keeping some of the ideas that the new philanthropy wanted. So like Charity Water, Michael Burge from Bebo, it's a platform like a Yahoo social platform. And he ended up building the platform for Charity Water that showed all the transparencies, yeah. right? So this is a great example of people in tech, people from business that then were helping nonprofits or people who are in this other sector. I was attracted to that because mm. I was coming from business and for-profit business and I wanted to be doing more impact. And that's where some of the ideas of like profit with purpose, you know, the money that you make has to be coming from purpose or going mm. into purpose mm. and it has to be more than just your three percent corporate social responsibility program mm. it has mm. to be deeper than that it has mm. to be a full integration and so i aligned with a few projects that were working in africa and i visited the projects and it was blowing my mind how new philanthropy was looking and i was loving it because it, it allowed the sense that yeah, you are doing something impactful and you see what's going on and their hearts are in the right place. Mm -hmm. You know, as little, I always donated to Jerry Lewis's muscular dystrophy. You call up and you say, okay, I want to donate this money. I did that when I was like so young, not not knowing anything about anything, but <laughs> you know, you just like, okay, call, I'll donate a dollar. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever the amount was, it didn't even matter. It's just the act of like, I want to help, right? And I did that when I was super young, but where did that money go? Yeah. You know, who knows? And there's been too many reports that the money is not used effectively. You know, very little percent goes to actual cause. And that to me was just inequality and corruption. Mm. And so I started to look at these projects that were in different developing parts of the world. I was like, okay, how can I offer my services? Whether it's mm. design, business, mm. or any type of knowledge I would love to share, right? And You know, fortunately, I was connected to a couple that was able to design some products and the brand and actually relook at their assembly line. And this was a particular project called Mend. What was the product? So we, we, we made simple bags so the women can train and learn how to make bags because that's my background, right? In case we were making bags. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it was like an easy thing. But I wanted to look at the assembly line in a totally different way. I didn't want it to be assembly line. And so there's a bunch of different methods and one is called Hive, which is kind of like how bees work and they collaborate. And so what we did was it started off with a, a few strong sewers and we would take the strong sewers and give them a few that were that need training and they would all work on the products together and the, the senior one would teach the other ones and, and make sure that they're doing it correctly and everybody would make different parts. So you're not just doing one part all day long. And so this is like a hive. You're creating like little hives here and there. And so there's a bunch of them. And 
the senior one got to sign the name at the end. So that was like mm. the thing to aspire to. It's like, mm. I get to I put my name on there. And not only that, but we also put images, like we printed images of them on the bags. Yeah. You know, so people knew that it's like, I get to know who made my product, right? Yeah. And when we were doing in case, you never knew. Mm. There was no that, that connection. So we started making that connection. So at least a buyer can say, oh, I know who made my product. Mm. How cool is mm. that? And you go to the mm. website, you can see her profile. And this is part of Invisible Children. And mm. it's called the MEM program. And, mm. you know, these women are all affected by the child soldier issue with Joseph Coney, where they abduct all the kids yeah. and do make them do horrible things. And luckily, some of these people have escaped and they're creating families. They have kids and they want to better themselves and do something productive, mm. right? So we figured out this was a, one of the ways to do it. So we trained them. And we've designed the bags so we're not complex. They're not like with things we did with assembly line where there's mm. m millions of tasks. This is a simple little tote bag, shopping mm. bag that yeah. when people carry it around, they see a beautiful woman mm. imprinted on. There's mm. no sad African babies, you know, with the bellies mm. out. Mm. It's more celebrating mm. uh, their That's life. True right yeah. and what they're doing so they made these bags and, and sold it to the channels mm -hmm. and that supported the program but one thing we did was I, I think really interesting at that time was that you know it's great to know who made your bag but i think she would love to know who bought, bought the it. bag yeah right? yeah so we created this <laughs> other direction of support so a woman who made the bag can see on the map like oh wow this person bought here and this and for them, it was like, oh, wow, my impact in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it was the space that we had for these women and they're doing it. It was lively with music and they were just singing and dancing and making products <laughs> and it was beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Right? So these products were funding the programs that were then... And they can grow. Right, bring more women in mm. and train them, and also education, right? Mm. Because they've been part of the Joseph Coney thing for all their lives, and multiple kids, and you know, it's just just the story yeah. here. It's just yeah. it's horrendous. They need opportunities, and yeah. we provided and, that. And they're also taking care of four or five of their kids, mm. so you know, it, it helps them. And we made it so the kids were also around, so it wasn't like they, they went off to work and they mm. had to have some they, the kids go to daycare that didn't exist, like daycare. No, <laughs> the kids were all there playing. There's this beautiful environment, you know. And then one thing happened that was super powerful, and because we made that reverse connection where the, the sewer, the producer, the person made the bag knew who they sold it to well one of the sewers passed because she had aids and mm -hmm. she passed and the most beautiful thing that happened all her supporters donated money for the kids wow. education and they could find her because you had that system yeah so you got that connection yeah. that's beautiful that's really beautiful yeah amazing and it's also just putting the structures there so it's possible for for people to find each other and find that connection Right. Talk yeah. about talk about intertwining. Yeah, right. 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 At an even deeper level that yeah. was intertwined because they were able to communicate. Like there was a platform that they were able to send yeah. messages. It was things like that that, you know, really touched my heart in mm. so many ways, right? Mm. It's like, yeah, it's super touching. Thank you for doing that. Building bridges between people yeah. and creating communities. Uh, really hard to beat that. For purpose. Yeah. Oh, no, it's it's mm. a very difficult thing to, to do, and uh, it's not done enough. You don't see much of that, you know? Mm. One of the trips mm. was 
like an eye opener for me was mm. I was riding on the back of a bike. Uh, one of the teachers, we were going out to the refugee camp, mm. and I was back of her bike, and I saw this steel, like a shelter, and I asked her, "What is that? This looks so odd amongst the red clay." And she's like, "Oh, that's one of those aid companies sending shelter for us." I was like, "Are you sure that's not an oven? Because it looks like an oven. Because mm. in Uganda it's super hot and mm. 90 degrees, and like that metal definitely attracts heat and would cook anybody in there." So it sparked a moment in me, and I was like, "Wow, we are designing for their problems, and we're sending them that as a solution, mm. right?" And as I get into the refugee camp, she's telling me stories, and I'm talking to her about this, and she's like, you know, most of the people can actually go home to their land, which is super fertile. They can grow things, but they choose to stay here, because in this whole process, the people who knew how to make the shelters were、mm. all killed, so that knowledge base was gone. The men. Ah. <gasps> Right, and、yeah. so women didn't know how to build shelters. The kids didn't know how to build shelters, and they were being sent that oven. And of、mm. course, I'm curious about this. I'm like, okay, well, you know, what needs to be done?、Mm. Because why aren't we teaching these women how to build the shelters? We're、yeah. giving them a machine that makes a brick out of the clay, and now they they have to do is just stack it in this formation. Yeah. Right. And. The people who are designing these things for them—they're a world away, having no idea that this is what the real circumstances.、Mm. What they imagine is okay. It's going to be this metal thing that you can break down and ship flat, and and cost super cheap to ship,、mm. right? And they can erect it, and they can then cook themselves.、And、they're like,、mm. what? <laughs> and I was there for. You know, it took three hours to get to refugee camp. Three hours back, and you're riding the dirt. By the time you get back, you're covered. You know, you're,、mm. you're, you're、mm. like,、uh, whatever. I don't、yeah. care. I'm here to understand what's going on. And I started realizing that, you know, if the people aren't here、mm. helping them solve problems,、mm. or if we don't empower them to solve their own problems,、mm. then we shouldn't be doing that. Which Was the old way of thinking about philanthropy,、mm. right? We know better. Like we're smarter than them,、mm. and we're gonna send、yeah. them aid. Our solutions and our products, right? That we we would have loved to have <laughs> 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 to carry our iPhones in. It's the we know better syndrome,、mm. and you know,、mm. it, and it got me to thinking about this. At the time, I met a, a really good friend, Chris Fabian. He was the innovation director for UNICEF. Now you think UNICEF is a big. Your agency. Yes. What can they do? But he was part of a innovation group that had flexibility do things, and you know we shared a common interest, which was noodles,、mm. and we just would <laughs> meet in different parts of New York and have a bowl of noodles and talk about different things going on. And <laughs> and when I came back from this trip, I talked to him about that. I was like, oh man, you know, it really troubles me that we continue to think this way,、mm. and philanthropy continues to think this way. But there's a whole movement of younger generation that is thinking a little bit outside the box, and、mm. they want things done differently. And maybe there's a way that、mm. instead of us thinking that we have the solutions, that、mm. we empower them. And the conversation evolves, and he's doing all the work. I'm just sharing ideas,、yes. right? And he's like, "Hey, we, you know, we have now 12 design centers all over Africa." 
that are connected and the staff is all local. Wow. And they and then they share best practices. The design offices share mm. best practices. So if someone discovers something interesting, they all share. Wow. Right? I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing work. He's like, no, that was from conversations that we've been having. Right. I think sharing conversations like mm. that, it just makes things better, mm. you know, and, mm. and the ideas are just better, right? Mm. And then, you know, we talked about more and we and it's like, oh, it'd be great to create a fund so you can fund some of those projects that are great. And these are all things coming from the for-profit world and business world. And Chris has a great mind, so he understands that kind of stuff. And mm. a short time later, he's like, oh, we got the fund. That we got this $15 million uh, like fund for, for these. And I'm like, oh, man, you are just, you're mm. executing. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't take credit for it because... Mm. He did all the work, you know, we just had conversations, but he's like, oh man, you know, without those conversations, like it's, it, you know, yeah. it's, it's beneficial to have those and to inspire yeah. and get things going. I was yeah. like, oh, great. I, cool. But you're still an important, you're playing a role by being part of those conversations and starting them, continuing them and actually traveling to see mm-hmm. what it's really like and try to understand how to best help others and how we best can help each other's. Right. And looking at it from a perspective where there is no motivation of mm. making money or anything else, right? It's really just going, okay, what's the best solution for this issue? It empowers the, the kids that are coming up, right? They're smart. They want to contribute. They have ideas. Yeah. And go with it. Yeah. yeah. Go with it. See what the, happens. But you mentioned that you actually homeschooled your child. You talked about here now pursuing your interests and wondered if you could talk a little bit about what led to that and reflect a bit about the impact of pursuing an educational path that is much more dynamic. Yeah, dynamic and fluid, right? Mm. So several years before that, I got to thinking about the sacrifice my dad made in bringing us here to the U.S. to have a better education. So I started thinking, well, what advantage can I give my daughter? Because she's already here getting educated. So, Mm. you know, like, what is it? And right around that time, you know, this idea of global citizen was really starting to emerge. And it started to emerge because I think the millennials wanted to have the flexibility to be able to live in different parts of the world and (laughs) be effective and do different things. And you can see how that all played out, like the whole nomad generation, right? You see that shaped (laughs) and became what it is. And so I was like, okay, well, if that's the case, then she needs... My daughter needs... The idea came around when she was seven, so it was like 2007. But it really took hold right around. I was doing this work in Africa. and So we were going on a trip, and I took her to one of the projects to let her see. Because, you know, up until then, she had been in the U.S. and different parts, but never witnessed, like, these type of projects going on. And luckily, a couple of friends over there in Kenya, and we were able to look at their project, and also one of them was the launch distribution of all these like filtration systems for water Mm. so it was a massive launch in west kenya and we were able to go to where they were doing it and see the reactions and just be part of that and for her seeing the poverty and but not just like how bad it was but how happy people were Mm. even though they were in that situation Mm. and they had nothing down to like, you know, the kid made a little toy from a plastic bottle and a string and put some wheels on it. And mm. he was, that was his toy. Like he only had one toy and that was it. Right? Creativity with what you got. Yeah, that's, that's all they have. Down to the nutritional part where we went to a school and she asked like, how old are these kids? 
And they were the same age as her, but they were a head shorter. Hmm. So she had Western you know, nutrition from here, and these kids basically were, you know, at some point in their life were hmm. malnutrition, right? And for her, it was an eye-opener because she's like, wow, that's hmm. the effects of food, hmm. right? If you have malnutrition, you don't grow. But the kids were happy. They didn't know any better. They were just, they were hmm. just living their lives. So she saw that. And for her, it was super impactful. So this idea of like Global Citizen started to form. And I said, okay, well, Global Citizen, it'd be beneficial to speak a bunch of different languages. And so she spoke English and Mandarin and Hermes, my partner at the time, she spoke Spanish. So after our trip into Africa, we started traveling down to South America. So in like a few months, she picked up Spanish. So having those three languages allowed her to be able to say, mm -hmm. oh, I can move and communicate to people. And in our travels, you know, this was a bit of a, it was a sabbatical for me in, in terms of, okay, let's go visit some of these projects, but mm -hmm. also take some time to live in different parts of the world so that she can become that global citizen and be <laughs> able to say, okay, if I go to South America, I could be comfortable living amongst these people and these people mm -hmm. and actually distinguish like the, the language mm -hmm. difference between mm -hmm. the different countries. Mm -hmm. As well as at the time she, she was enjoying cooking. so. We had a couple of friends that introduced her to chefs in different countries and different amazing. Uh, restaurants. And she would go into the restaurants and stage, which is basically like work for free. <laughs> <laughs> so she was like 12, 10, 11, 11, 11 12. And yeah. so she knew how to, uh, and she'd been in the kitchen with Yermes for a while. And, and so she was learning how to do those things and, and cutting, you know, knife mm. skills and, yeah. you know, just like basic things. And, and she would go into the kitchens totally unassuming. And the chefs there be like, oh, it's just a little girl here on the side here, here, you, just, you know, cut a few things. And, and she shocked them by how much she could do and her dedication and her willpower. And so throughout a half a dozen restaurants that she staged at and made friends. And mm. I believe she's still in contact with a lot of those people now. <laughs> you know, you learn different cuisines and different use of endemic ingredients. And mm. for her, it was exciting. So that, I think, allowed her to be like more fluid, to be able to uh, mm. live in different places. And then we went to Asia for about six months, mm. and she was doing the same thing there. Yeah. You know, staging at some restaurants <laughs> and help open a restaurant with a, with a chef that spoke Spanish and English. And this was in Taiwan, so the staff spoke mostly Mandarin. So she was a liaison speaking Mandarin. <laughs> and then when they... When they needed to talk, you know, they spoke in Spanish, so the so the Taiwanese guys they, they couldn't understand mm. what they're saying. So, yeah. like those three languages in a kitchen is unbeatable. Yeah, it's, unbeatable. It's like in you any can, kitchen around yeah, the world, you're always going to be someone. able to eat. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> always have food. Always have food. And <laughs> if anybody who's young and want to travel the world, that's the best way to travel mm. the world because. Mm. You know, you can stage just mm. by anywhere. People want, you know, volunteer work and they'll feed you and you'll find a place to live and, you know, like, <laughs> they'll probably pay you enough to, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's an yeah. amazing way yeah. to travel the world. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, if I had those skills, I'd do it. But and that's what I told her at the end. <laughs> it's like, you, you have, you know, when, when you finish with high school, like, you have that skill. That's amazing. And I hope that she sees that, you know, mm. and, and mm. Uh, I think that trip was pretty impactful, yeah, you know, starting from imagine. these projects that we were working on to then, you know, being able to move yeah. about. So she didn't get any regular education or some? When we started, and for how long? So, yeah, so when she was 10, we pulled her out of school. She mm. just finished fifth grade. So she had basic, you know, elementary foundation stuff, mm. right? So math and, you know, some writing, just basic mm. stuff. And 
and we thought about this and like we didn't want to just do a curriculum based homeschool mm. because then we would have to help her with that homework that's not that fun neither for her or for us so we went with the concept of unschooling which basically is a premise of saying okay based on the child's interest let's guide that support that and supplement you know mm. what that could be now first question we asked her is what are you into and she's like dogs I'm like, oh, great. All kids that age love dogs. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's more about introducing her to all the things related to the dog industry. So, like, blind people have yeah, like, dogs yeah, that yes, help yes, them see, yes, right? So, yeah. so we went to a facility that trained the dogs, oh. right? And, you know, dogs don't walk backwards normally. But there they train them to walk backwards so that if they're too close to the street, they can walk oh. the person who can't see backwards. Wow. Right? So I was like, wow, I, I, I didn't know that. No. But when you see that, it's like super wow. interesting, right? Yes. Like a veterinarian friend, you know, that allowed her to stay there for a, a day and see like all that stuff that's going on in that field <laughs> to like just watching some Caesar Milan dog whisperer mm. stuff, right? It's mm. behavioral mm. stuff. And, and in the end of like exploratory phase she was really attracted towards the behavior stuff mm, right so mm. we're like okay cool then then mm. let's study more about that right yes. and then let's study more about you know maybe different breeds from different parts of the world mm. and so we really try to supplement her education around that particular interest at mm. the time mm. and look at doing some reports mm. based on the things she's finding so mm. she can express like what she's discovering mm. the other thing that we did which was at the time TED Talks was really picking up steam mm. and moving forward and a lot of content online. And we had her look at TED Talks and say, okay, pick the topics that are interesting in three talks that are mm. interesting to you, watch them, and then dive deeper if you want to online, you know, research. But at the end of the day, give us a, like a keynote presentation, like mm. a quick one, just, you know, explaining mm. what you saw, what was interesting mm. and what other things might come off wow. of it. Right? Wow, wow. This so very integrative. Very fluid, but mm. also taking what's going on in the world because, you know, TED Talk, you have the most amazing people doing the most mm. amazing thing right now. They're mm. sharing at the moment their work. Their current work. Yeah. It's not a teacher that, you know, is bitter and has their own viewpoint on something and is pushing their agenda. No, it, this is as pure as it gets, right? It's not just practice of that particular area, like learning how to cook. It's also reading recipes, collaboration with other people, social emotional skills in mm -hmm. that sense, memory. You yeah. have all of those aspects involved. And with the dogs, you have reading, you have research, asking questions, presentation, yeah. it's oral presentation, in addition to biology. It's fascinating because I know a lot of educational programs that are trying to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Where project, they're trying to... Project-based. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Trying to incorporate the same topic across different classes mm -hmm. so that when you're in math, mm -hmm. you also learn about, for instance, racism. And you also learn about that in English. The math problems are something about inequality, for instance, or something about structural, societal structural injustices. And so they're trying to do this, but it's so hard. Yeah. Because it's different teachers, different classrooms, different people at different levels, and it's just very complicated. But yeah. when you're one-on-one, -on -one, yeah. you have one child, and you have full control over the variables. The I don't know if is this like is good to say, <laughs> because I'm an educator, but nothing beats one-on-one. -on -one. 
mentoring and training. Everyone knows that. We all know that. So it goes back to the mentor. If apprentice. it's good. Yeah. You mm. know, and every day we doubted what we were doing because we're like, oh my goodness, are we doing the right thing? Mm. <laughs> but, you know, as you're unfolding all this, you start to realize that schools is a very controlled environment in that all your classmates are the same age. And so your social skill mm. is really your classmate, right? In our situation, you know, we put her in the classes so there were, she had similar age interactivity, but she was also very fluid in that she met old people, young people mm. at all ages. And that's really more how we interact mm. with the world. To mm. say, do I have any friends exactly my age? Mm. I don't, I don't have any. <laughs> no, they're either younger or older, yeah. right? So why are kids forced to be interacting with the same age? And a lot of social, bad social dynamics starts to happen in yeah. schools. And in, in some were starting to happen in her school and and she felt you know like she had to protect some of her friends mm. because they were getting bullied when we started traveling around and integrating into like give you an example in Argentina we, we put her into a trapeze class and all the girls there were like oh wow who she's different she's Asian looking mm. she speaks a little bit Spanish how cool is this and they yeah. just when she came in they just went and, and hugged her and grabbed her and like this is my new toy mm. as opposed to here where it's a total different interaction mm. so I think it was valuable for her to experience yes. that it's not like this all over the yes. world and that there are other things that you know are happening and so I think the education, the unschooling thing, it started to unfold where that she liked to be in the kitchen and we allow her as much time in the kitchen as possible. And so when we opened up Mission Heirloom, the production kitchen and cafe in Berkeley, she integrated in there perfectly and wow. new and, and then added the component of nutrition because that was mm. that was where our headspace was. And we were really going into the space of you know, right around that time, I found out that I had celiac. Mm -hmm. And all my digestive issues was caused by that. Growing up all my life, I always thought it was something else. I couldn't figure it out. And I explored vegetarian, vegan, raw, everything possible. Cut out seafood, cut out meat, elimination diet. And in the end, it was gluten. So that's specific to my case. But in this process, she also learned a lot about mm. nutrition mm. because she's cooking and experiencing all the ingredients. And so she understands nutrition, you know, at a very good level. Mm. She knows how to take care of herself. And mm. and so the unschooling thing was, was just free-forming and it just started to unfold. And one of the things that I think was the best social dynamic for her was when she was working in the cafe and she was able to socialize with all the different people coming in and help mm. them with whatever mm. they had going on and i think there was a lot of people you know looked at her and, mm. and like oh what's this little girl mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. you know so for her the age thing wasn't even she a, wasn't even thinking about it wasn't it. even a, a thought no, you know and no. so fast forward and seeing her thread right wanting to be more interested in dog behavior now if we fast forward she ended up going to college and studying behavioral psychology yeah right? interesting so that thread and that yeah. interest in the arc of that has also gone through and all the skills that she picked up along the way like cooking and yeah. nutrition that helps because when you're talking to people and helping them you know diet mm. could be something that yes. affects the neurological function in a big way mm. right yes. so yes yes all those things relate and then you see that and mm. she's finished with school mm. and working and you're mm. like oh wow that's that's amazing that 
Yes. You know, we were just, it was a lot of intuition on our part to see, okay, mm. how do we raise and do this <laughs> unschooling? And we had no program or, or anything to follow. It's really kind of goes directly into neuroplasticity. And, and I would say you're almost designing your experiences and the shaping of your mind. Yeah. When you're designing your education. Yeah. It's and, all and, the sign, isn't it? Well, it, it, it is. And it's allowing things to unfold. Is allowing her to show that's the direction to go because she's interested. Mm. Because she's not going to show you the direction that, that she doesn't want to go. Mm. So how do you be open and receptive to that mm. and say, okay, just like the you know rollerblades in soccer. Mm. I would never have thought about playing soccer on okay. rollerblades, but <laughs> yeah. I went with it and yeah. it worked. You know, he enjoyed it, right? Yeah. So having fun at, at what you're doing. I think a lot of that was just shaping it and, and allowing her and supporting and what was even more of a confirmation was that at my high school, her friends, because it was, you know, she grew up in the town I grew up in, her mm. friends eventually went to high school at the same high school I went yeah. to. They invited her to do a TED Talk at my old high school <laughs> about her journey. Oh, wow. Right? That was, to me, like, oh, my goodness, mm. that's... That's so special. They were still connected. They were still friends after all these years and she not being around that yeah. area because we were Traveling. in different tra parts of the world but yeah. when they finally connected they're like oh my god that's such a like what a journey like can, yes. can you you know and they had can a ted share. talk at the school that's right? amazing and, you know like it, she yeah. was doing ted talks as her exercise for <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's a lot of it's free form and, mm. and being open minded and, yes. and not forcing your agenda or not forcing mm. what you want them to do. Or, you know, it's the same way now with Renzo, right? Mm. It's how do you continue with that? Because mm. we've gone through it now and we're not as worried that you might do it wrong. <laughs> it's, I find it fascinating because you're kind of laying the ground for opening up experiences for you and your loved ones. Yeah. You're designing freedom. It's, it's really fascinating because many, many people design something that's unchangeable. It's like set in stone. It is what it is. But you design kind of the open canvas, uh, if you like, or mm -hmm. the, the opportunities. Right. I don't know if you agree with this, but it kind of seems like an amazing way of maybe allowing for them to figure out who they are and allowing for you to figure out what you like by not closing any doors but at the same time, allowing for focus on just one little thing or two little things or three or whatever, or change it or switch it. And by doing that, you're training your mind, creating connections in the brain that are aligned with who you are initially. Well, the, you're in the deepest yeah, sense. Yeah, and, and you know, if you, if you then say, okay, well, all this type of designing of the lifestyle or how you want to how you want to move about in this world you start looking back at you know when i was in high school and i wanted to shape my own education because i didn't want to conform to what was being fed to us mm. so it's the same thing with you know having kids that so you can conform and raise them a certain way or you can maybe allow some more open-mindedness to happen or some variables to happen mm -hmm. and uh, find the path that they have interest in and they're going to be happy with and play with that and see what happens yeah yeah i think that th that that'll continue as we raise renzo mm -hmm. because you know he's no different he's a super creative person and 
I'm actually fortunate this time around because, you know, when Moya was, when my daughter was younger, I was, you know, busy running in case. I mm. didn't have time to be able to spend on a daily basis that I do now with Renzo. I find that refreshing and rewarding and be able to introduce, mm. you know, inspire. Give you an example, it was like, you know, lately with all this AI stuff, like mm. it's a new tool. Right or drawing digital drawing on an mm-hmm. iPad, you know mm-hmm. all these things. Like, mm-hmm. like, can you introduce that to the kids and see what they can do with mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yes, you can draw on paper, but you can also digital draw on mm-hmm. iPad. What's the mm-hmm. difference? Mm-hmm. Or you can prompt something on AI like mm-hmm. Mid Journey mm-hmm. and see what comes out. Yeah. yeah. And he's like strawberry robots, French fry robot. Everything's about robots. Yeah. So he wants to see, you know, French fry robots. Like, oh, French fry robots. French fry robots. <laughs> so, you know, there's all these like strawberry marshmallow robots. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> it's the best things in the world. Yeah. Right, things that he loves to eat. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, well, it's great that, you know, now that's created. Now we can yeah. draw that. He's yeah. like, oh, cool, let's draw that. Yeah. You know, so it's a bit free. It's a free form and it's using tools that are present now. And I mean, I wish I had a, a digital, you know, a digital painting drawing thing when i was little yeah. no, it was just pencil and, and, and there's value to you yeah. know drawing the yeah. old way but it's good to do both yeah. and to have yes. you know access to both those tools right? yes and then the details you can do is insane that's right your journey is really really fascinating and i find it so interesting the way you look at learning and the way you're mm. opening up for learning for following your interests and then the understanding of how that fuels learning yeah. further. That's a very intuitive understanding of human developmental changes. And I think that's beautiful. The other thing I was thinking about when you talk now was, I guess this is not popular to say, and I will not edit it out because I think it's true. We are often told that our children need to follow the same pathways as other children and that the options that are there are the best ones Mm -hmm. but we all know that the options that are there are not the best one because there's always progression so that's not true it's also not true that it's not possible to give children social experiences outside a classroom Mm. it's not true right and it's not true that you learn better if you learn the content in the exact same order or with those exact books. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not true. <laughs> and so we're told a lot of things about formal education that I, I understand it because if no one followed that pathway, if everyone took their children out of school, it would be chaos. We wouldn't have uh, people who could do the jobs that we need people to be able to do. <laughs> <laughs> because they would define new jobs. Right. So we're told all these, I, I wouldn't say it's blatant lies, but it's not true, at least. It's not completely transparent. Right. And, and I think it's because of fear, because what would happen if we completely changed the whole system that we built yeah. or don't use it? Well, it falls Apart, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, one one theory around that is like industrial revolution caused this, right? Because during uh, the industrial revolution, everything was about assembly lines, mm. right? And they had to groom people to go and feed into the factories and the assembly mm. lines, right? So, if you think about the school bells and 
you know, like the schedule and how regimented it is. And it was really to get them ready to go into work, right? And so they had to be a certain way mm. and you had to conform. And, you know, because if you go to assembly line and you're not conforming, then you're going to stand out and then you're going to be reprimanded. Mm. So this whole idea of that, that as a school, as a mm. feeding ground for companies, mm. right? That was really what that... If you look at the system yeah. as a whole, yeah. you see that, oh, wow, that's how that was all built. Mm. Now, things have changed because, you know, like those big plants are no longer mm. around, right? The, mm. the mills, the automakers, and, <laughs> you know, they, these things are all starting to disintegrate and disappear or transform into robotics. And it's mm. a different mm. world that we're living in, you know? Mm. And so if that has changed, then what happens to education you know and mm. if you look at the top the people who are talking about education now they're talking about gamifying education mm. right mm. because kids love games they love the mm. reward system they mm. love the mm. openness of that mm. and so you know it, it, industrial revolution is, is already mm. we're, we're in the knowledge revolution mm. data mm. in revolution mm. right yeah. so what is it now that's gonna what's the feeding system right that you know yeah. we do with the kids and I'll give you an example in our health quest. I found out I'm celiac and, you know, we, we're starting to build foods because we found success. You mm. know, for me, it was brain clarity, mm. like mm. digestion was, uh, you know, all these benefits to sort of going down this road of pursuing the health. And mm. one mm. thing that we did that is an evolution of some of the things that have happened before happened when we went and did this brain training. What kind of brain training? So uh, at the time, we were good friends with Dave Asprey. And we were living in Berkeley. And Dave, would, he'd call us up every time he was in the Bay Area. He's mm -hmm. like, hey, I'm coming over. Because he knew that our standards of our food mm -hmm. was you know, unparalleled. Mm -hmm. And he can eat our place without you know, fear of cross-contamination or yeah. people messing up and doing things that, you know, it's just like normal restaurant things that, you know, like... This, the food is not as safe, yes. right? Because cross-contamination is super dangerous, especially if you have to eat a certain way, yes. right? Especially gluten-free or, or even grain-free or, you know, there's multiple levels above that, toxins and toxicities and yes. things that can trigger your autoimmune condition or any other condition you have, right? Mm -hmm. So we're good friends and he's a proponent of this thing called 40 years of Zen and then you basically go to elevate your alpha brainwave and that's associated to be like athletes being in a zone or you know when you have clarity like runners high you mm. know like mm. you're just like running and you know mm. you're like i don't feel any pain and mm. you know, you, you, <laughs> you're past you, pain it, yeah exactly right or any of the sports that's reactive sports and you know like michael jordan last minute and he's mm. in that zone and you know he's gonna bury it right <laughs> or or the more recent ones are extreme sports now why are they doing these extreme sports well because in those extreme sports you're pushing the limits to the line of death right mm -hmm. and so when you're doing that you're really elevating your alpha and if you don't you're going to make a mistake and that's going to cost your life mm -hmm. but they're pushing that because they want to elevate their alpha so they can feel that zone that high from that wow. right so this 40 years of zen is you know there's a couple of locations but this guy dr james hart he accidentally found that you know instead of doing a session a week 
mm. which is the typical type of brain training thing. You go once a week or once every two weeks and you have a, a half an hour session or some. He was accidentally left in the chamber, the brain training chamber, and the staff went to lunch and it was hours <laughs> before they found what? him. Right? Why? And he was in the chamber and he was like, oh my goodness, I just realized that we need to have a full immersion type of, of session where mm. it's not once every couple of weeks or whatever mm. that is. It's, more, it's like a longer immersion, like seven days. So we signed up for it and I didn't know exactly what it was going to be. Right? It's just seven days. Seven days straight. You, you go, you check in, you know, there's a place to stay and they have these uh, brain training rooms and mm. you know you get hooked up with all the different sensors and there's two different feedbacks mm. uh, one is auditory right so the sound oh. if you elevate your alpha waves the sound gets louder and then also you have a number right so you can mm. see what exactly num your alpha level is at and all this is backed by the you know eeg so you can see mm. all the charts mm. when you're in there and I didn't realize that this was basically going to be a therapy session with feedback. Ah. Brain feedback, right? Yes. So, you know, we're going back to feedback again, right? Yes, that, yes. How, how important is feedback? Well, it's, it's critical. So if you go have a therapy session, the feedback is minimal at best. But in this brain training, you're seeing exactly how your brain is reacting to things that you're trying to do. I didn't realize that. Yeah, we're going in there to work on the stuff that have caused us issues in the past. Because if you can eliminate those issues or, or bring less importance to them, your brain is going to be able to elevate to alpha at a higher level. No barriers. Right. You can, the more you go in there and mm. deconstruct the mm. things that are causing you issues, the mm. better you are at expanding your capabilities of higher brain numbers and brainwave action. Yeah. Right? Again, taking away the barriers for learning. Yeah, so... Here, here's, here's one of the things that, you know, and you have to, and you really have to reach deep in there and to understand, like, what you need to work on. Because there are things, surface things like that, that you know, okay, yeah, that caused me a lot of trauma with that mm. person. <laughs> so you're like okay i'm gonna work on that i forgive you you know like yes you caused me pain i forgive you and and you know the the sequence of how they do it you, you actually have to lower it and then raise it and then when you see the numbers and hear the noise and you're going through the forgiveness you know because there's things that will lower your alpha and things that will raise your alpha and, mm. and you don't know mm. and you're in your testing mm. and then they take you through a bunch of sequences and then all of a sudden you're like oh wow okay when you feel the pain of whatever that interaction was, mm. your alpha goes super low. It gets suppressed. Yes. Now, you have to first go down there. So you have to feel all that, mm. right? And then you have to go, okay, I forgive it. And if you truly forgive, your alpha comes at a super high level. And after a bunch of those sessions, you basically have done therapy for that. <laughs> and so it's using technology. Yeah. Well, you're what, familiarizing yourself with the trauma or the... The, the feeling of the it. The feeling of it. Yeah. So that it doesn't take up so much space. And and you're able to go and and break down that that trauma and that mm. barrier, right? Mm. So I'll give you one example. And I didn't realize that this was such an issue. When I was eight, I wanted to play baseball, mm. right? And I went to sign up and they're like, Oh, you can't you can't sign up. And I was like, Why? They were born four days late. So my birthday is September fourth mm. and the cutoff was August <laughs> 30th right so so oh, i was so upset and you know as mm. a eight-year-old kid you don't know what you're upset at you're mm. just you're upset at them 
mm. or at the institution or the mm. whatever who or maybe it's a rule. So I kept on thinking about that. I was like, wow, this is interesting. And you and Am you I? talked about it now as an adult, and you still responded to it well, by suppressing the alpha level. I did that. That one, I, you know, I was like, oh yeah, that happened, but I didn't realize how strong of an effect that was towards me in terms of me viewing institutions and rules. So could that have contributed to me being a rule breaker and <laughs> you know wanting and, and really like against like all these institutions mm-hmm. like schools, yeah. like governments, yeah. like just just anybody who made rules that yeah. you know that like, stopped freedom right. of expression or stopped creativity, stopped me stopped. from doing the thing I wanted to do. I was gonna be happy doing right, which yeah. is base playing baseball, right? Yeah. And and, and I looked at I was like, wow, I, that is that is something that is in there deep it's really deep it's really deep so i worked on that and i was like wow that's that's amazing Mm. you know that 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 was in there right and Mm. i and i went in there and i just you know poked Mm. it and Mm. and Mm. pushed it and and Mm. you know break it all down but i was like wow that actually formed a lot of things as i was growing up yes yes and, and even after you break down that exact experience, it still might have shaped you and the way you are, even if that specific experience is not causing anything. But it's already shaped me. It's already shaped so you. So many years since yeah. I was eight, yes, right? Until yes. when I did the brain training. It was like, yes. how many years was that? It already has mm. in good or bad, you know? Like mm. maybe I would have been more of a conformist if mm. that didn't happen, mm. right? So we're talking about situational things that then led to things small right? experiences right yeah but um, that feels so significant at that age it's it, it was a big aha moment for me too because in this training right he showed us a video he's like ah oh, you know in the 80s there's going to be this next level of consciousness 80s and 90s right and that was yoga so if you think about that you know it was starting to trend and everybody started doing yoga and mm. when you're doing yoga you're actually raising your level of consciousness mm. Mm. whether you know it or not mm. if you go into savasana and all yeah. of a sudden you have yeah. a little bit of like you know uh, enlightenment of yeah. some sort or a different mm. feeling like yes. you're raising your consciousness so imagine how many people doing that and mm. the beatles were instrumental in bringing that the meditation thing here to you, to you the know w- to, the, the to, to the world right in mm. the 60s or something mm. like that right mm. so they even created the center out in Transcendental meditation in Utah or somewhere. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, they had their guru. He created that. Mm. And so it was supposed to be this center for like radiating consciousness. And then this video talked about the next wave after that is what we're doing. Brain training, right? And of course, if you think about the evolution, Mm. yes, Mm. yoga is great, but there's no feedback. Mm. So when you go into alpha and you do alpha brain training, all you have is feedback so you know exactly where your brain is at and if it's actually if you're there suppressing it if you're there at the heart of the issue mm. and then have you fully f- forgiven it's fascinating so you're saying that we're going from like in a regular situation when you're learning things and all these experiences you don't have control over the experiences often you don't have full, uh, full control of what you're learning and the exposure to it, right? So you can't say that you are completely free to learn what you want. You're a bit dependent on the experiences that you're exposed to. But with feedback and brain training, where you get feedback, mm-hmm. you basically, again, you would ensure that you're taking control over your learning. You're getting the opportunity to take control over mm-hmm. your learning by 
choosing what to practice over and over and over again and what not to. So, you know, like this alpha training mm. is at, at a specific location, right? Mm. And the technology behind it. And once this, this gets distilled mm. down to your iPhone, you're mm. able to do it on your mm. smartphone and you're able to do this where, I mean, there's some device, there's some things like heart math that talks about variability, your heart variability yeah. and, and yeah. getting cohesiveness there that helps. But this is this is sort of next level. And once that gets translated, I think there are people working on this that, yeah. that you know will yes. bring down the cost. Because that alpha brain training thing, it's really geared towards people who have massive trauma. There's uh, groups of people that donate money so that they can help people go there because mm -hmm. it, I mean it's pretty expensive for normal people to yeah. go. You have to save up or you know a lot of money to do it. We were fortunate enough to be able to do it mm -hmm. and to do it with Dave and to be able to bring mm. the food supplement that you know is really good for the brain yeah. so that yeah. we were able to function at a, a higher level because they weren't worried about the nutrition part before. They were giving you like sweet candy stuff and salads and there was no fats. <laughs> or proteins and there was like a I don't know what they were doing with the diet part but mm. it didn't match up with what you were trying to do with your brain because when you're coming out of those brain sessions you're so wiped out that the next thing you do is you go back to your room and you sleep oh wow like, and you, sometimes you come out you don't know daylight you don't know what day you're in or you don't or it's dark or it's light so mm. you you know you, you're you're disoriented totally disoriented because you're working so hard in there and then you have these decompression so you just talk about like what's mm. happening in there so you can decompress and you, you lose track of time that's what he wanted because if you lose track of time your brain it's more malleable and it's more acceptable for other mm. things but you know if you have a routine your brain's mm. like okay cool i'm gonna go and do a alpha training and then i go home and i go do my regular stuff and it's not as effective this was you're completely Wow. in a different space wow you know? like you said there are more products coming out for private use now than before i heard about other products that combine different kind of sensor technology and biofeedback or especially the prefrontal cortex it's like you're training your brain to lift a particular object for instance on the screen mm -hmm. and so you have this app and and you have this uh, kind of headband yeah. and you would basically use your thought processes to lift an object right. uh, it could be an airplane or like a ufo or something and over time by kind of being able to do that you will find the thought patterns that are needed in order to do that and so over time you will do that faster so you get the feedback from the visuals and so yeah. you're basically exercising certain areas of the brain that you might want to exercise right there's 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 all kinds of things people are thinking it's about to, to do this you know? i'll tell you another thing that was interesting in the session yeah and this was the biggest part of work that i did and it was it, my mom and I. We were always like at ends with each other, you know. Maybe because she made me play the violin, and I didn't want <laughs> maybe to. you I didn't like, like I, that I just, authority. Like, was very angry at her. <laughs> yes. You know? but, yes. <laughs> so so we always so we always butted heads, and you know, I was like, okay, I, I want to work on that because mm. I don't want to do that anymore. Mm. Like I'm I'm done with that. Like how do I heal that part? So most of my work was towards her. And Dr. Hart talked about this. He's like, you know, sometimes this work goes to a, a, a different level like a metaphysical level like it's it's out there in the universe and you may see something that you're completely shocked by after mm. you do this work and so I, I did the majority work towards her forgiving her for all the different things and you know there's some traumatic things that happened in my life that you know coming from her maybe not 
her fault, but it's her circumstance. And that sort of rubs off on the kids. And then we internalize that because at whatever age that we're at, mm. we're able to understand or don't understand. It's sort of like when I was eight, mm. you know, and, mm. and I couldn't play baseball. Yeah. Well, at eight, you're not able to rationalize or think about things at an adult level. So as we're growing up, you know, things happen. And, you know, so I'm forgiving her for all these kind mm. of things. And the moment I get back and then we go visit her to tell her about this thing, she's completely rearranging the altar of where my dad was where my dad's altar was mm. which was in a dark little corner and she put it in this space which was like the most open area her mood everything about her towards me mm. and, and everything about me towards her completely changed wow because i did that work right and for me it was like all this forgiveness work and she felt it Wow. She felt the work. That's that so to me beautiful. is uh, talking about, you know, conscious at another level, right? You've already done something that that someone feels. Mm. You know that you're doing something here, and they they feel that, right? So, you know, it goes back to all the like meditation and mm. everything that you know we're trying, and now this is like the latest one with technology mm. and feedback. Yeah, you know, and and how powerful is like I. I, I, I loved it. I was like, everything that has caused me, I, I was like, okay, I worked on everything, right? Mm. So I have no, you know, there's nothing. I don't hate anybody. I don't <laughs> hold any grudge. I don't mm. care. Mm. Like, mm. if you still do that, it's your deal, not mm. mine. Mm. Like, I don't, yeah. you know, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> By changing you, exactly, you're changing your experiences. You're taking control over mm-hmm. everything you're experiencing, how others experience you. Right. And therefore, what you get back from them, the feedback that you get from them. Yeah. And, and hopefully that starts to, a, a, a chain of events. A chain of events. Right? Yes. So. Changing you. Changing the fundamental basis yeah. of you as an organism. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the dynamics of how you interact with everything around you. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, another interesting mm-hmm. thing that happened because we have all these EEG readings, right? And we looked at everybody's EEG. There's like a few of us in the session. And so we're all working together mm-hmm. and we all mm-hmm. share. And, and after, you know, my daughter Moya, she was in the session. She was 13 mm-hmm. at the time. She went mm-hmm. and did Alfred brain training. Wow. Right. Wow. So kids naturally have higher levels of alpha mm-hmm. if they didn't have trauma and, and mm-hmm. things because they're just naturally more open mm-hmm. and naturally more able to have higher alpha mm-hmm. because they have less baggage right <laughs> and not so many experiences that bring down hin- the alpha. that yeah that hinders everything <laughs> from unlocking still many many pathways and many connections between neural networks that can be shaped and formed and right. are not shaped and formed that's right mm. so you know like a baby probably has extreme alpha because he's mm. just free-flown and yeah. super connected is that a dream you maybe want some kind of barriers or not barriers but some limits <laughs> Maybe, maybe, or maybe not. Well, mm. I, I, you know, and mm. Dave Asprey has gone a few times before, mm. so his was much higher because mm. he's already done work. So if you continue to do that, you can continue to raise your alpha, wow. which is what you want. You actually want to continue to raise it because then you're increasing your capacity, right? At, so say if your baseline is here, right? If you continue to do that, you raise your baseline. Mm. That means more times than not, you're able to make better decisions. Mm. So then we come to my my EEG. Dr. Hart looks at me and he's like, do these things happen to you? 
and I was like, like you know, like sometimes you get an insight on something. Sometimes you have out-of-body experiences, you know, and a couple other things that is associated with the theta brainwave crossing the alpha or the more activity of the theta brainwave, right? And I looked at my chart and I was like, wow, my chart doesn't look like any of their chart because their mm-hmm. brainwaves are all in sections, different levels, mm-hmm. right? Very, very separated from each other. And my my you're all like over this. the place my theta and alpha it's not like my alpha was higher than anybody else's mm. but my theta was like mm. and he's like okay in in the chamber at this moment did you have an out-of-body experience i was like yeah i did i was flying above this chamber i was flying <laughs> above this facility yeah <laughs> <laughs> and he's like that's what that's that's this brainwave here wow. when this starts to cross alpha you start having out-of-body experiences right so you know, like it explains like the meditation and mm. though that didn't have feedback. This mm. this was my feedback for for mm. that occurrence. Yes. What does that mean, though? So he could recognize the patterns as coinciding with those kind of experiences because you've probably seen it before. But the yeah. fact that your data looked like that. Yeah. The theta wave. He's like you. You can tap into the universe's knowledge. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, go to the library? <laughs> Search, like I can get on the internet and Google uh-huh. something? Yeah. Like, what do you mean internet? Uh-huh. You know, like universe is knowledge, right? I was like, okay, I don't know what you're talking about, but mm. the out-of-body experiences, I feel and I and I see it. And so what does that mean? What is that? Mm. You know, like, so, you know, he explained it further. It's like, in the way I'm understanding it is like, I can really tap into the intuition mm. of the things I'm feeling, right? The the okay, I go with that because that's you know like don't think about that, right? Because that's that's not the theta wave. The theta wave is not a thinking wave. It's a tapping into like knowledge. You know, he's talking about akashic records, which I don't know if I believe in that kind of stuff. I have no idea. That's the that's a depository for the universe's knowledge. But what is the universe's knowledge? Like, what is that? Mm. You know, like, is there? You, you, I, you know, like, does, does, is that the smartest, you know, thing in the <laughs> universe or yeah. something? I, you know, like, yeah. what, what could that be? I'm guessing I'm just associating that that's like, you know, tapping into, to, because your, your brain can think about things and you can process things, but your intuition is way stronger mm. than your brain. You know, like, if you're in a certain situation, right, you can think your way out of it, or you can, like, your intuition is going to tell you, mm. you know, like, something's off here, this person's, you know, like, this person's going to mm. do me harm. You know, you, you get this, mm. like, really strong feeling, and I think that's, I feel like that's mm. what it is. Is that conscious or subconscious? It, it's subconscious, mm. you know, because mm. all of a sudden something comes over you, mm. and you're like, I got to get out of here. You know, especially in dangerous situations mm. or where you have to, you it's not a it's not a think, you don't have time to think, it's a reaction thing. You're making a, a move because you know something's going to happen, right? Mm. You know, like protecting your kid, your kid falls and you just actually go and, and you reach down mm. and, you know, mm. you had no time to think about that. There's no way you can't mm. go, oh, he's going to fall. I got to reach down and grab him. No. No. Mm. It's a it's a intuition mm. that said, I gotta go and put my foot there and, and mm. you know something or mm. grab him or something or you know like you see a kid walking across the street and you're just like cars coming boom right you, it's a reaction you that you can't your brain doesn't work that fast mm. so what is it 
And that's that's what I associate with that theta being that way because maybe you just understand this is reality, so this is how I have to act. Like uh, the immediate understanding of reality, like this is the way things are right now. Right. This is how I have to act. So I just do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, sports is a great example of that, especially extreme sports, right? You don't have time to think. It's all mm. reaction and it's all based on like, okay, you, you got to be intuitive about this and you got to just move about. I was thinking about like, you're going, you're going down the mountain and you, all of a sudden you, you verge off of something because you're like, whoa, I, I don't want to go that way. Mm. Something bad that way, right? Is that intuition or is that brain or what is that, right? Because you didn't have time to react. You didn't have time to think, yeah. right? So is it that, that your know, mind is a bit more elevated that you know, like I have to go with that mm. as opposed to thinking mm. as much. Right? I need to go with that more because I have that more elevated, which which is the out of body experience, right? When you have an out of body experience, like mm. you're not thinking, and you know, along with mm. out of body experience, I, I have a lot of dreams of when I'm flying or in water. So these like all the things that you know, <laughs> like are, are kind of are kind of things that happen, right? Mm. Or to be able to control yourself in the dreams. Mm. Right? Where you're, you're changing the trajectory of the dream? You're, you're in control. You're not just watching, but you're like participating. And you're, you uh, have dreams like that. Yeah. It's not all the time, but like, I, I'm like, oh, well, what's going to allow that to happen more? That's the exploration I'm on now. It's like, okay, cool. Let me, let me take that and let me see if I can you know, make that stronger. And he's like, hey, listen. You, not only does they have alpha brainwave training, but they also have theta brainwave training. He's like, mm. I, the only I can only invite the people who have this kind of stuff, so you you can come back and do theta brainwave training. So right? you did that? No, I haven't. Yeah, you, you want to? Oh, well, yeah. I love to, right? <laughs> but there's <laughs> also like the other brain, like delta. Yeah. Like delta is like the Jedi mind trick thing. You can make people do things that you want. We're right? just thinking it. <laughs> exactly. You're just like, he's, and, and from a and he's like this is very that's very dangerous because you can it's 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 you can make things do bad things that you yeah, you, that, don't want that that. you don't want that so he does do that but he makes sure that the person has good intentions right, right? it's clean right. here any any bad is like no wow so, so that was so that brainwave training for me um you know you if you look at all the different examples that we've been talking about and if you're still listening to this you, you you've already <laughs> you know <laughs> you can you can see that there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of things that have threaded through. I think so. And I, I don't want to put any judgment or I don't want to make any kind of conclusion to all of this. But and it might not be something you resonate with. But from my perspective, I'm thinking that listening to you, there are like a couple of threads that I find fascinating. Been there throughout from the very beginning and still there. You're talking about intuition and that kind of understanding, having the need and freedom and room and space to find that intuition to be able to have the openness for learning in different ways different things like options mm -hmm. opening up not closing the opportunities but opening the opportunities for thinking for creating etc that's also kind of an intuitive space because it needs really a lot of openness mm -hmm. and on the other hand you have all this kind of very preparedness as well mm -hmm. the waffle recipe right having all of it layered but it's never closed that's also open right this is an interesting pattern of and you're not only wanting it for you but also for your loved ones right and i, I don't know why but it, it, it's obvious that it's kind of giving opportunities 
to learn and to create much more dynamically than if it was closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is very, very fascinating. It, it's just an interesting pattern that I see. Well, it's funny that your, your observation of that, it, it directly ties into why I love golf so much. Mm. Right. So I'll give you an example. I, I play tennis and tennis is a very mental game, but mm. there's more reactionary things that are happening. So when you're serving, you have time to think. Mm. But other than that, it's all intuitive. You mm. have to go with like you have to react. Mm. Mm. Right. You can't yeah. think. But in golf, it's a lot of it. You have to first use your brain to process all the data. Right. Wind direction, barometer, like you know, like elevate, you know, all these mm-hmm. different things that's going to affect your shot, right? So you have to use the brain to, to disseminate all that. And then you have to pass it, or you have to basically shut that down and let your intuitive create the swing. Mm-hmm. Because if you're thinking while you're swinging, it doesn't work. So very similar to what you're saying, like there is this, this processing and thinking part that like the robust engineer, mm-hmm. I had to figure out, okay, well, that's really interesting conceptually. I get it. Mm-hmm. How do I apply it? Right. And then... It's the intuitive part that says, okay, cool, let's, let's, let's execute without this part because we mm. already have this part mm. formulated. You trust that you have that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You trust that it's there, but when it comes to executing... You got to go with the intuition. Yeah. Right? And we talked about you know, like, like the technology explosion where we were allowed... Mm. I mean, the internet, right? The amount of data right, that my brain needed to process these things to make sure that that's all... You know, mm. that wasn't there before the internet because where did we get our data from before that? Yeah. How did you get it? Do you have to go there, collect it <laughs> directly? Well, it, for me, it was mm. audiobooks because I, mm. I absorb data better when I hear it mm. as opposed to when I read it. I had problems reading books. I would just fall asleep. You know? But audiobook, I was like, oh, wow, cool. So prior mm. to, to all that, mm. you know, it, and then when the internet, it was, it was like massive amounts of data, mm. Mm. right? And... It's like a data scientist, right? If mm. you have, the more data you have, the better mm. you you know you can create you know like mm. the outcome of things, mm. right? Mm. And so like when the internet came about and I was able to access so much data and learn all these different things, it allowed you know, like you're saying like mm. okay if if you have this and you can process it correctly, then you can intuitively execute, right? So before the internet i was like wow man my reality wasn't as formulated because Mm. i didn't have enough data to say okay yeah let me look at all this stuff and then does that make sense to Mm. execute right it Mm. was more you make a guess yeah yeah, based on a small limited data set but now you have bigger data set you can actually formulate that better to then intuitively Mm. do something with it but still what you had of data you used it probably in a good way because you guys were really successful with in case and with that whole process and that was based on utilizing the data you have yeah. and make the best of it well mm. you don't have anything else besides mm. that if you don't yeah. if, if it doesn't come in mm. right so and then you like you line <laughs> it up and you try to be prepared and you figure out a way to make sure that it becomes successful no matter mm-hmm. what in the world of competition out there it's always about the relative performance mm. it's not about the absolute performance mm. Is yeah. relative to others. Right. So if your performance today is much better, it would have been better than back then, mm-hmm. you might still have been years ahead of others back then. Yeah, and it, and it's uh, and it's also that the the continuation of trying to get better faster, 
you know, like、mm. all through, you can see it. I wanted、mm. to get better faster, better、mm. faster. Like the feedback thing in tennis was get better faster, right?、Mm. And、mm. as you're going through, you're like, that was、mm. a constant thing. It's like,、mm. get better faster, right?、Mm. So we can beat the competition or be better than others. Yeah. Have you ever felt like you have to use the time that you have here in the best possible way? Do you feel that time, the resources of time is limited? And do you think that's connected with the learning faster? Uh, I don't know. I think it's more, I think it's more like if you see what it's going to look like, I, you know, I, I know people say,、uh, enjoy the process,、mm. enjoy the journey, <laughs> you know, worry about, but I get frustrated if I know that we can be here and we move so slow to get、mm. there, I get super frustrated. It's like beyond for me.、Mm. And so maybe that's, a, that's an issue, you know, that I, I don't.、Mm. But you know, at times I do enjoy the journey, mm. Mm. right? If、mm. it's, not a, it's not like a, I'm trying to get here fast、mm. and you know, it's, it's just like a little bit more free form, then it allows me to enjoy the journey more、okay. as opposed to saying, okay, like if we get here faster, th- that means success. Yes. You know, it's, a, it's like that means we beat the competition. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. In your head. You, you, you want to progress that.、Mm. You know, like、mm. every time I'm doing something in Asia, I'm like, when I'm here, I feel like. I know I need to get here, but it's taking forever, and、mm. I just want to get here, right?、Mm. So,、mm. I spend a lot of time <laughs> in Asia so, so I can accelerate、yeah. that, so I、yeah. can be there and be done. Exactly. I talked to my daughter the other day, and we needed to be somewhere in New York and get there from somewhere else. And you know, traffic in New York takes、mm. forever.、Yeah. And you try to find the best option is it the subway? Is it walking? Is it an Uber? And in the end, you're like, kind of, the only thing that actually gets me there is like, if we could, like, it, Magically, just have some kind of transportation that's like direct, like teleported. Teleport. <laughs> that would be the only thing. That's probably the invention that I think I would have wanted to make. Or have the autobotic experience and then you, you actually just go over there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, something like that. Yeah, that would have been perfect. Well, Bobby, I. I don't know if there's anything else, anything you want to mention that we haven't mentioned. I think one thing to, to end with is like, You know, as I'm going th- you know, through all these different experiences, you know, there was always this like, desire to always be updated and be doing the latest things.、Mm. And so I-, I look at AI and it's like, well, this is, is another tool. We don't know exactly where this is going yet, but I, I think people have to embrace it.、Mm. And, you know, it's like whenever you get an upgrade on your phone and you don't upgrade,、mm. you know, it's. Are you going to be left behind? You know, like the person. In the end, you get the virus on、oh, your、yeah. computer. <laughs> yeah, but that's the, that's the risk of, you、yeah. know, because if people didn't upgrade to the smartphone and they're using the other phone, and you can see with, you know, with my parents and with the older generation,、mm. you can see that they're reluctant. The ones that are reluctant, there's a cutoff,、mm. you know, and the ones that even they're the same age and they, they like, Fully embrace it,、mm. you can see that their brain is like still, you know, it's still、mm. moving forward and it's、mm. still like wanting, wanting something better and learning something new.、Yeah. And I think that's the importance with all this stuff, right?、Yeah. I'm kind of going first, full circle and back to art, like where I started、mm. drawing. Yeah. And, you know, now I'm, I'm back to drawing, but I have a new tool, which is the AI,、mm. which can help with. You know, like I want to draw something that I- I've never drawn before, that, you know, maybe I couldn't imagine it and draw it, but let's just run some prompts on、mm. it and see what that looks like、mm. and then use、mm. that as a reference.、Yeah. I think it's perfectly fine、yeah. because, you know, like there's some things that you wish you could draw, but you've never drawn before. Well, if、mm. you have a reference, now you've added that to your, your tool. So you've actually just made your art better. 
you know, it's not you. It's not taking that art and signing it and saying, "Yeah, I created that." No, no. that's really not the point. No. The point is like to use that tool to be able to elevate whatever you're doing, right? Yeah. And I'm seeing some of these tools where you can take something and reposition it,、mm. right? Well, your reference material just got better because、mm. you can reposition it to the the position you want, or、yeah. you can try something that you can draw and and explore, or you can、mm. reposition it and go, cool, that's a, that's the exact pose I want, right? I'm drawing horses right now, and maybe there's a reference material or the, the right position or right posture. Now you can create that,、mm. or it's a it's something that You know, a horse can't actually do because of gravity. Yeah, you but you、know? can. Yeah, but you can do it there. <laughs> right. It's, so it's I think it's important for people that continue to explore and move forward with these new tools. You、mm. know, and、mm. I guess when we start to look at the the path, you know, and and all these aha moments, and you know, it's gonna lead to more. Right.、Yeah. There's there's more. It doesn't. End, you know? there's, <laughs> there's so much input coming in. There's gonna be more. You know, moments like that. Yeah. So we can also see maybe the development of pretty cool artistic expression with AI that have not been developed yet.、Mm-hmm. Multimodal imagining experiences connected to smell, connected to hearing, connected to like audio, together with touch. It's just limitless, and,、yeah. and it's opening up the creative process and, and、yeah. possibilities for creative expression and creative experience. Yeah. And maybe also. Translating into creative product development, potentially, yeah. You know, and I see too many people afraid of jumping in,、mm. and it's and and you know, I, I think you just want to encourage people to to take that step because it's not, you know, it's a, that fear. Like, how、mm. do you eliminate that fear so you could just, you、mm. know? I, I think as designers, we have less of that fear because we're always constantly trying to、mm. figure out, okay, well, how do we take the next step, or how do we, you know, be able to create the next. Best product、mm. or next experience、mm. or mm. whatever we want to do. It's like,、mm. how do we keep moving forward? I think people who aren't creatives, they they probably have tendencies to be a, a little more fearful. They're not、yeah. trained that way to constantly advance forward. You know, like look at what what we can do to contribute. You know,、mm. it's it's unfortunate that you know, but everybody's got the opportunity, and I think everybody should take it and、mm. you know, move try, forward. Yeah. I'm wondering about that. What you're saying there, like, do you think that you're unafraid, and like that you have less fear than others, because you're so、and、open? Yeah, I, I think it's because of the, you know, it's I've been conditioned all my life to be more this way, and to not just you know bend to the rules and、mm. you know、mm-hmm. like have to. And I question all the rules because look at where it's coming from. I mean,、yeah. you know, all these, <laughs> all these things. That, <laughs> like, who are making the rules here, right? Yeah, and so I, I think because of the, some of the experiences, you know, maybe when I was eight years old and not being able to play baseball, yeah, that that's... rule breaking, you know, I was like, oh wow, it's so unfair, right? That four days, like、mm. I'm here, I'm excited, I want to、yeah. play, like、mm. why limit me? It's not like I'm two years younger or a year younger. It's four days. I have a grace period of you know like、yeah. at least a couple months. Like it's,、yeah. you know the physical mental <laughs> state is the same. It doesn't make any sense, it right? It doesn't. It's just silly and, and stupid. And there's too much of that in、mm. our society. There's way too much of that.、Mm. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. So I think a lot stems from that, and that eventually led to other things. Be open to the exploratory process, it, and you know it's fun. <laughs> You're kind of a warrior of opportunities. Yeah, yeah, you can say that.、I'm、yeah, looking, always looking for trouble. Yeah, always looking for trouble. <laughs> always looking for a rule、yeah. to break. Yeah, <laughs> and opportunities not to be stopped. Yeah, to flourish. 
and and things are evolving so fast that you know i think it's it's better to have a more open mind than you know one that, that doesn't allow some of these things to happen yeah and to be able to imagine i think like what you've shown here today and i'm so honored that you would sit down with me to be honest the one thing i'm sitting here with after this conversation is is a tremendous courage you know to be the one who sometimes takes the first step and the one who sometimes have to kind of be the one that's make other people aware of the fact that the rule is stupid (laughs) (laughs) and confront it yeah provide an alternative yeah i like that you know it's showing people that there's a different way Mm. or there's another way it doesn't doesn't have to always be Mm. it's a constructive way it's very constructive because it's about creating a building rather than kind of just evaporating what's existing it's not about that yeah exactly it's an amazing journey that you've been on i think yeah thank you for letting me share my experiences i hope some of this stuff resonates with people and you know they're able to apply to whatever they want to apply yeah. it to and hopefully yeah. you know, that, that you know if they have kids you know that's the that's the biggest part that we can influence mm. right is mm. the is the kids and how mm. they grow up and mm. we don't want to be like our parents and you know i caught myself the other day you know like i, was, I sounded like my mom and i and then i said renzo i'm i'm so sorry like that's not me mm. I'm, I, that's you know i'm not blaming my mom i'm just saying that's not me yeah and i want the learning process to be fun and i yeah. forgot about it and yeah. so you know i'm not i'm not perfect i'm not always yeah. there but at least i recognize that you know hey we can have fun while we're learning and mm. that's probably the best thing to be able to do because then mm. you can actually learn you know if you're if you're not having fun learning no. then no. <laughs> go do no. something else <laughs> open up don't close it open up the mind and the, the body to the experiences rather than close it so it only can accept some things Right. I would like to thank you so much, and I'm so grateful I for this. I'm also really grateful thank that you. you're here and that the mission you have to mm-hmm. be able to contribute not only to make like design for people or decide on what kind of designs people should have, but actually create it mm-hmm. with people's needs in in consideration. Yeah, and and really think about like, okay, how can I solve this problem for someone else? At the same time, I'm making it a fun process that's open and broad and, and free. Yeah, to inspire to inspire others mm. to go on their own journey, right? That's mm. that's. I mean, it's like I don't want to be I don't want to be the one designing for people, right? Mm. Like mm. same mm. we were talking about mm. examples in Africa, but I'd love to be you know part of the process and inspire people mm. to say, oh, that's that's an interesting mm. way of looking at it. Mm. And maybe if I do it that way, it, you know, I, I can yield different results. Mm. You know, that's yeah. really what we want, right? Yeah. To have people go on their journey and see, maybe list your aha moments down and see if you can find that thread. You know, or for your kids, you know, like mm. you you'll be fascinated by what you discovered. If anything at all, at least uh, you, you'll be able to enjoy like, oh wow, what were some of my inspirations? Mm. And, I mean, because those are all positive things. Like, we're not talking to write down your negative thing. We're talking about the things mm. that, like, really gave you a, a smile or an aha mm. moment where you, you like, mm. had some, you know, you elevated your alpha. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And I love that you want to give that to your children and to your to others. Yeah. So thank you yeah. so much, thank you. Bobby. Thank yeah, you. appreciate it. Following this conversation, I'm sitting here with tremendous gratitude. Bobby has made me think about the incredible human capacity to shape one's experiences and take a front seat in one's own path of personal and professional pursuits. 
He uses the analogy of building blocks, and I think this beautifully captures how we can actively have agency to shape our journeys and align this with our interests and passions, and how one thing essentially builds on the other. This conversation has also reminded me of the power of hearing about each other's stories, to get a better sense of the possibilities of finding ways to utilize your interests under constantly changing circumstances. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with a very special mind and human being as much as I did. Thank you for listening to the Chameleons podcast. I'm your host, Imak Samrama.